Courtney Amo is the founder of Maha, an independent yoga, retreat, lifestyle coaching, and consulting practice that promotes inclusive, barrier-free access to well-being. With over two decades of yoga teaching, public sector leadership, and facilitation expertise, Courtney brings an embodied perspective to her work and builds strong teams grounded in trust and respect. A certified Designing Your Life and Holo Body Coach, Strategic Doing Workshop Leader, and Zen Leadership Practitioner, Courtney has practiced yoga, meditation, and mindfulness for close to 25 years. Visit her at Maha, that's M-A-H-A-A dot C-A. Help me welcome Courtney. Courtney, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much, John. I'm so pleased to be with you. I'm pleased to have you here. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Over here where I am, I'm in the Finger Lakes region of New York. And we, you know, we've had a really, I, I hesitate to say it because of all of the challenges people are having with climate these days, but we've had a really pleasant uh, summer this year. How are things uh, over where you are? Mm, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that because you're right. So many people have had such a challenging summer. I'm on the east coast of, of Canada. I'm in Moncton in New Brunswick. Uh, just on the border with Maine. And uh, and we've had a lovely summer as well. Higher temperatures earlier in the summer than we were accustomed to. But August has been really, really nice. A little bit of rain, but a lot of sun and just starting to get some cooler weather now. Uh, very nice. You know, I was remarking uh, to my family a few days ago that it really does feel like autumn is going to be a little early this year. What do you think? I feel the same, especially with the coolness that we've been uh, experiencing. And some of the flowers, um, I was just remarking that the goldenrod, the wild goldenrod that I have in my backyard is already in bloom, which mm. which is odd. And so I do think things are going to happen a bit more quickly. Yeah, you're like me. I, I pay kind of attention to the uh, signals in nature. A lot of times it kind of gives me the the clue that I'm looking for. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, what have you been working on lately? Uh, what have I been working on lately? Yeah. Well, on the heels of the book that we'll we'll talk about a little bit later, um, that got published in April, I've really been thinking about how how to bring some of that knowledge, some of the experiential elements into, into the world more concretely. And so I've been working on a retreat um, that's starting at the end of September uh, with a partner, a local partner here in Moncton uh, named Jacinthe Dejard. And um, the theme around that is going to be doing some deeper dives into ourselves, into our bodies, trying to connect with what our purpose is and, and where we're trying to head. As we as we enter into the fall, I always find it's kind of the new year in a way, right? Yeah. Like when you'd go to school and you would start <laughs> fresh and anew, right? So, so thinking that end of September, folks will have had a chance, those who have children, 
have had a chance to get back into routine and probably asking themselves, okay, what's what's coming next? So that's in the works. And then looking with another partner at um, at some workshops around, um, again, finding your purpose, um, but but maybe for those who are either close to retirement or just starting into retirement or perhaps have been in retirement for a couple of years and are finding themselves wondering, okay, now I, I have all this energy, this wisdom, this experience, this knowledge, what now? And wanting to help them get back into their bodies, find their purpose again, uh, and and begin to take action in the world in ways that are going to fulfill them and make them feel like they're they're having a, an important contribution. So that's that's what's been on my mind lately. Oh, that is really nice. I, you know, I that sounds like really two terrific offerings. And you don't know this about me necessarily, but I spent a fair amount of time working with uh, AARP. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the idea of helping people find or rediscover their purpose either kind of going into their what's next, whether that's retirement or moving into a different phase of their life or career or whatever the circumstances may be really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. You know, I, I was, I've been thinking a lot about your book that you co-authored the mind body way. And the subtitle there is the embodied leaders path to resilience, connection, and purpose. And I'm wondering if you would mind if I just kind of shared a brief little story about how I got interested in this topic in general. Mm, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So, and I think this might kind of bring us full circle back to the book. So it's been, it's been a long time ago, several decades ago, and a lot of, of, listeners may recall right around the time when we were first getting over the the big hump with AIDS right and all of the fear and trepidation with that and we're kind of just coming around to the first wave of antiviral therapies and and people were starting to think a little bit more about living with AIDS etc which was a new concept at the time but I went to this conference and I heard a physician, and there was lots of clinical information being shared, et cetera. But I heard a physician get up and speak. And the theme of his talk was about how hope can help people live with AIDS longer. And that was the entire theme of his conversation. And the difference between his presentation and other people's presentations really caught my attention. But the theme really hit a note with me as someone who, so first of all, that was the first time in my career or in my life that I had ever heard anybody with that kind of authority make that direct connection between how we think and our body, et cetera, so that mind-body connection. And of course, I spent the next I don't know, 20 or 30 years or so, kind of ignoring uh, what I had heard there because I'm, a, I'm generally a very cerebral person. And kind of going into, and just before the pandemic hit us, I entered into a little bit of a different phase of my career in life and was kind of re-exposed to this notion of kind of the mind-body connection, if you will. So I think I'm really just curious to find out from you, what is an embodied leader? So when we think about embodiment and the embodied leader, what does that mean from your point of view? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, first, thank you, John, for sharing that story. I, I think it's so interesting that a, a, a professional, a medical professional at a conference that many years ago was willing to sort of put that topic on the table with their with their colleagues. Because even today, um, there's a lot more that is known about the mind-body connection and, and certainly a lot more acknowledgement that there's a bit of a false dichotomy there. We talk about mind and body, mm. but really we should be talking about mind-body as, as one, one thing, one integrated whole. Um, but even though there's better understanding of it now, it's, it is still um, a concept that is not fully understood more broadly in society. And so for us as, as authors, and I'll, I can say a little bit later about how we, we ultimately came to even the writing of this book, but we were starting, we started out by wanting to explore the concept of mind-body from a leadership perspective because we felt individually and collectively that the problems that leaders are being asked to solve right now in this moment are so incredibly complex, so vast, and so potentially overwhelming to each individual's nervous system that we wanted to put some information out into the world that would support those individuals and also help them to understand that they're not alone in their leadership role. They're not alone in that they have within themselves, and this gets to how we we see embodied leadership, we all have within ourselves nervous systems, a nervous system made of our brain and and all of our nerves, our spinal cord and, and all of our nerves from the tip of our fingers to the tip of our toes, which is a, a complex information network. It's gathering data from outside of our bodies. It's gathering data from inside of our bodies. And it's allowing us to, to tap in to our own inner wisdom, to our own intuition, to our own instincts. And when we're able to do that, we're able to draw on on the full set of competencies that we have within ourselves. Now, we're not alone because we have this, what we call in the book, a a somatic (laughs) (laughs) co-pilot. Right. You know, or an inner strategic advisor who could provide us with information. But we're also not alone in the sense of we have all these people around us. And as a leader... We can tap into others in ways that will allow for deep, deep levels of collaboration. Deep, deep levels of collaboration that are possible only because trust is there, um, because full engagement is there, because we're we're able to go and 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 get at the inner drive and desire of others to contribute. And so we don't have to do it alone. And the way that we tap into others in this meaningful, concrete way 
is also through embodiment. Because if we are in our bodies, if our nervous systems are regulated, we create spaces around us for others to also be regulated. And it's amazing how much more you can get done as a leader with a team when you're not constantly causing the nervous systems around you to be hyperactivated or to be hypoactivated, right? Right. So an embodied leader is someone who's able to use their intuition, their empathy, um, is able to be fully inclusive with those around them, to be able to align themselves with purpose and take action in ways that are going to be really meaningful and really powerful because they're not only drawing on themselves, but they're also pulling those around the, around them into the action that they're wanting to take. What a powerful message that is. So, you know, one of the things that that reminds me of is, is you mentioned it sort of, and there's kind of the energy and that's what this is, reminds me of. You know, I I work from home like a lot of people, uh, like you do as well. And so, you know, a lot of times when I leave the office space that I'm in right now and I go out into kind of my home environment, my wife will often remark that uh, I have my work energy going on. And it, it and it to her, it feels really different. And to me, until she started kind of pointing that out a few years back, I never really recognized that. It was, it was this invisibleness to me. So is that part of what you're referring to with kind of the embodied leaders, just as a leader being more in tune with the energy that's coming from me and also being in tune with kind of what I'm projecting out uh, from that place? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really like your wife's observation. <laughs> I'm sure my 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 husband uh, would would be able to commensurate with her on <laughs> on the kind of that comes out when I leave the workplace. But um, but but yeah, I think I think that's that's definitely it. It's we we're, we're energetic beings. I mean, fundamentally, right. And we, we sense that our, ourselves and we sense that in relation to each other. And um, you and I have, have we met through, through Zen Leader right. training, uh, through Dr. Ginny Whitelaw's work. And her, her work really helped me to understand how important that energy element was. I, I understood it to a certain degree. But it's only through the Zen leader work that I was really able to integrate that knowledge in a really meaningful way and to take action on it. And to then be able to notice the energy as a leader, the energy that I was creating in certain environments. So depending on my own inner state, I could easily create energy that my team would pick up on that would either motivate them towards action, towards common action with me or with each other, or that would put them in a state of, of fear or discomfort or uncertainty, uh, which, would, which would cause them to, to sort of dial back on, on their actions. 
So there was a direct relationship between the energy that I was putting out and creating within the work environment and how others around me were reacting to that. Right. You know, and that is so true. And and I think about all of the times when I was when I was kind of giving off that energy, whether it's kind of that work energy, don't bother John because he's in work mode, or there was some other energy that I was giving off when people may have needed me for something, right? And they got the sense that I wasn't available when the reality is that I probably was available, but I was just kind of giving off this vibe, if you will, uh, another way to think about it, that don't approach me which, you know, so to me, thinking about myself and others as the holistic leader, right? It's not simply what's between my ears. It's the energy and, and again, sort of the vibe that I'm giving off or transmitting that can make a difference in how I collaborate with others and how I lead them, whether they are willing to follow me and all of those wonderful things we think of when we think of a great leader. Yeah. Yeah. And our, Our nervous systems are the antenna that pick up on this energy. So this isn't woo-woo floating in the universe energy. This is real stuff that our nervous systems are picking up on. Information, it's data that was critical to our evolution, to our survival over thousands of years. And so once you realize that we're <laughs> out of like like you say we're putting out vibes we're putting out vibes and we're receiving vibes from others and i think all of us have an intuitive sense of that going all the way back to childhood we had a sense of of those vibes right but to then understand that that is happening and it's having an effect on those around us and then to be able to think about okay what is going to be the most useful um environment that I can create here for the results that I'm looking to achieve. And then to bring your nervous system into a regulated state so that you are creating the right vibe for for that work. You know, you have just given me another layer uh, to some things that so typically I focus a lot on intention. Mm. As I go into things like, for example, this call, et cetera. And so now, given what you've just mentioned to me, it gives me another level of that. Because again, being a person who's naturally cerebral, I'm up in my head a lot. That's where a lot of my intention lies is between my ears. And so I think going forward, I'm going to experiment a little bit with doing a little bit more embodiment to see if there's some data uh, around my intention from that. So thank you for that suggestion. Mm. I love hearing that. Yeah. You know, as we think about kind of all of the things we're talking about, it it, it does pull me back to your, your book, uh, The Mind-Body Way. And one thing I'm kind of curious about is what is what was the inspiration for you and, and your co-authors for this book? You, you hinted at it a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but what what inspired you to go down this path? It was a, a an interesting series of synchronicities or related events that ultimately brought us to to work on this together. It 
it started, I would say, around the fall of, of 2019, when one of our co-authors, uh, Casey Berglund, who's a, a leadership coach, uh, yoga instructor, uh, inspiration to, to, to many people around her, uh, did a, a, a TEDx talk that was uh, titled, Let Your Body Lead. And I knew Casey because in 2017, her and I had met uh, during a yoga teacher training uh, in India. And um, and I, I really, you want to talk about vibes? Like I really connected to Casey's vibe. Uh-huh. She had a beautiful energy, um, amazing curiosity, asked wonderful questions. She would say the things that my body wanted to ask, but I didn't quite have the bravery to ask. <laughs> so I really connected with her. And even though during the training, it was such an intense training, there wasn't a whole lot of time to uh, to connect with other people. Her and I did manage to connect a bit and, and to follow up afterwards. And so she had shared the TEDx talk with the other um, trainees from that program. And I'd watched it and and really appreciated her messages, which were all about you know, listening to your body, heeding its wisdom, using it as a, a co-pilot or as a strategic advisor as you're moving through the world and trusting and trusting that the information that you're getting from your body is is really valuable information. Now we talk about the book that, you know, you do still have to look at that information with your mind um, because there are all sorts of circumstances that can create bias in terms of the data that your body is sending you. For instance, you know, trauma can create circumstances where your body might be sending you signals that are not quite aligned with what is actually happening. And so you do still have to be quite mindful of of how you're processing that information. But being more connected to your body will give you access to data that you can benefit from that you wouldn't otherwise uh, be able to tap into. So I watched this TEDx talk. I'm really inspired by it. And then not long after, I was invited to give a leadership talk. So we're still in 2019. We're still in the fall of 2019. And I prepare this leadership talk. And it's all the standard stuff. <laughs> I have a slide deck, you know, classic, <laughs> classic <Of course> <laughs> PowerPoint presentation <laughs> leadership talk. And as I'm, I'm driving to the location, I get to the hotel the night before the talk. And just something in me feels wrong. And I don't know what brought me to watching Casey's TEDx talk again, but I did. Something in me said, you need to watch your TEDx talk again. So I watched your TEDx talk again. And then this was probably like eight o'clock at night and the talk is at nine o'clock the next morning. And I just throw the whole PowerPoint slide out the window and decided to start from scratch. And, um, And it just flowed. It just flowed from me. It didn't take very long. Um, but I talked more about my own journey in leadership, um, what mattered to me, my purpose as a leader. I talked more about the importance of connecting to yourself and to your body and taking care of yourself and what were the factors that allowed me to take care of myself, including other people around me who gave me space and permission and time to take good care of myself. I talked about my values, 
So it was a, a completely different talk. And I and I'm pretty sure I had given them an outline before. <laughs> and so when I <laughs> morning, I was very anxious. I remember going into the washroom, looking in the mirror and thinking, well, this is either going to be a success or it's going to be a complete failure, but I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I did it. And I and I just had a few pictures. I still brought a few slides, but they were just a few photos on the screen. And I asked for the group to sit in a in a semicircle and um, and we just talked. And I had a few notes and I kind of went through my notes and I engaged them in the conversation. And, um, and in the end, they were really pleased with the conversation that we had had. Like you could tell that something had shifted and that they were really thinking hard about the things that I had brought up and their questions were really pointed around, okay, well, so then how, how could I start down this journey and so and the organizers were really happy to and I drove back uh home on a high and I emailed Casey and, <laughs> and and I said to her what if um what if we worked on something together what if we worked on a project around embodiment or a book around embodiment and so she was giving that some thought meanwhile um, Dr. Julie Volak, who's our other co-author, who's a longtime friend, um, who's a she's a, a clinical psychologist and a consultant, a speaker based in Ottawa. Her and I had been thinking for a number of years about a project that we could do together. So I reached out to her as well and said, "Hey, why don't we work on this project together? I have someone else in mind. Let's organize a meeting." And it turned out that Julie had just come back from a meditation retreat and had come up with her keyword for 2020, um, which came out of her meditation, which was embodiment. And so when I said to her, let's wow. do embodiment, it was like a bell went off in her saying, yes, of course, <laughs> you know, this is so aligned. And so we, we met in January by phone uh, in January 2020. And we started talking through the project and getting organized. And our idea had been to, um, to do a writer's retreat, to do a lot of the planning by phone and by Zoom. And then sometime around March or April, we'd go somewhere. We're all in Canada. Casey's in Calgary. Uh, Julie's in Ottawa. I'm in Mountain. We'd meet somewhere, probably Montreal. Um, you know, get a get an Airbnb for you know weekend and a bit, and and do some writing together. Well, of course, we all know what happened in March of of twenty twenty. Right, exactly. Uh, so the whole project ended up being virtual for three years. We met uh, by Zoom on Sundays, and we wrote together in a highly, highly collaborative way, and um, and that's how the book came to to fruition. So I, I think what inspired us initially was just the synchronous nature of how we came together. And then once we started writing, we were able to very quickly notice how each of our strengths were complementing each other's weaknesses, how we each had a, a very specific role that we could play as part of this team, and how the world around us which was in, 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 in a tremendous upheaval, kept 
encouraging us to keep going because the messages we were wanting to put out there were exactly what we felt needed to be heard at this point in time. Wow. Wow. Another incredible example of synchronicity, everything sort of falling into place. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the, there are, there are a lot of qualities within this book that I really admire and, and that resonate with me. One is, even though there are three writers, it does really read in, in one voice. And I, I find that very appealing, although you do get the flavor from different points of view. And I think what's unique about it from, from my perspective is it's a book written for leaders, mm-hmm. not I'm a coach. I've been a lead, you know, I'm a leader of my own life. I work with a lot of leaders. So it's not something that's written, you know, specific to the coach community or the helping community, but for leaders. And I find that extraordinarily appealing. And the the fact that there are so many, what I would consider to be practical, down-to-earth sorts of suggestions for how to implement and become a more embodied leader really resonated a lot with me. So congratulations on how you've constructed this and just the practicality of Mm -hmm. it. I'm so glad to, to hear you say that, John, because that really was part of our intention. When we started our planning, we started to try to articulate what our vision was for the book, how we wanted the book to feel how we wanted it to to come across, uh, what we wanted people to do with it, what outcomes we were hoping they would achieve uh, by reading the book. And and we considered a, a whole bunch of things, like even just the, the practicality of the size of the book and the number of pages. Um, I joked about the fact that um, any book that I cannot read in the bathtub without risking like the book falling in the tub because it's too heavy (laughs) is is not good. (laughs) You need to be able to carry this thing around in your bag, read it in the tub, read it on the bus, have it in your pocket. Uh, For us, it was really important that it be small and, and short, but that it be packed with practical advice um, written in a way that was non-technical and provided a good point of entry. There are no, a number of other books around embodiment and around embodied um, practices applied to, to leadership that are, they're excellent books, but they're excellent for those of us who've already stepped into this space and who have a, a bit of a foundation of knowledge around this. And we felt that there was this gap between the leaders that we were trying to reach, the leaders we were seeing who were struggling with exhaustion, uh, with overwhelm, with with burnout, who were questioning their purpose, questioning whether they wanted to continue to be leaders, even though they were exceptional uh, in, in what they were doing. We wanted to be able to, to get to those people and help them take an easy step into this space. And so once they stepped into the space and they start to get a foundation of knowledge, then they can go towards these other excellent resources and continue on the journey. But we wanted to provide a bit of a platform to get to that space. Yeah. You know, I really, really appreciate that approach. And, you know, it, it kind of leads me to a question I want to 
explore a little bit with you, and that is, you know, how to translate this work and the sentiment around this work when we're actually coaching executives and leaders that might be a little reluctant. And I, the book lays out a number of different, uh, again, sort of very practical ways to go about it. And, you know, what I have found just as a little bit of a, an analogy here, I, when I went through coach training, uh, one of the, the ways that they instructed us or, or tried to guide us a little bit when we had conversations with leaders was, you know, who is their uh, captain and crew? That was the the terminology that they used. So that was a way to, to kind of describe, you know, who are these internal voices that you have that kind of tell you to go in this direction or go in that direction? And when we're in the module learning about this captain and crew thing, you know, it just, it, was so totally foreign to me at the time. I, you know, I found a way to later translate that into, you know, kind of who's your personal board of directors kind of way of thinking Mm -hmm. about it. So when I approach leaders that I coach today and I get the sense that they would benefit from some embodiment work, one of the approaches that I use is just to invite them to experiment a little bit with me. And I found for me that that works quite well, because if you were to see me kind of all buttoned up in my regular coaching uniform, you know, you probably would not expect that direction from me uh, being a former CFO and a former head of HR and et cetera. So I think it's a little a little disarming to invite them to experiment a little bit with movement right? Uh, for example, just let's just stand up and walk around your chair and sit back down and see how that sh- might shift our energy. Mm. So when you think about working with leaders that may be you know, a little reluctant or a little skeptical or, or things like that, or have you, are there ways that you've found that you can introduce this to people that you've worked with that resonates with them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I love the idea that you shared or the practice that you've shared around, you know, just having the person get up and, and move around and and have them notice what shifts inside of them. Uh, I think that can be a really great way to to start to bring that awareness to the fact that how we move and hold our bodies has a direct relationship to our emotional state and how we feel energetically. These things are intimately connected. I, I find that an, an, a good starting point, especially if I don't know the client well, and I don't have a sense of how connected they are to their bodies, is to notice when in the sharing, to notice when something is shifting. And I'll, you'll see it through the body language, very subtle but you'll see that little shift. It might be how they change their posture or where they have their hands or where they're looking and just give them an opportunity to pause and to ask them, you know, how does that feel inside your body? What's mm-hmm. coming up for you? And we start the book off with a bit of a, of a, almost an embarrassing story of my own where this happened to me on on the couch of my psychologist where I was telling her about a leadership challenge that I was facing and she saw it. She saw what was going on in my body and had the intuition to stop me and ask, 
And I had no clue what she was talking about. I had no idea. What she was <laughs> and until she gave me the safe space to actually pause and listen, I wasn't really able to communicate in that way. And so for me, that experience was a, a real point of entry. It was a real opening of the door towards that inner dialogue, which was always there. It's always there, but we we push it to the background. And so as a coach, I think, as coaches, I think we have a an opportunity to help the people that we coach to bring some of this back to the foreground so that they can consider it. Almost like you say that the, the captain and crew, um, your body is is part of that team. Yeah. You know, I what I appreciate about that suggestion is just the non-attachment associated with it. So I think what you're suggesting is if we can listen holistically, right, and notice when our clients start to have some physical shift. And just calling that out without attachment and bringing it to their attention and asking them about it is a way to start down that path. I think so. And and once they begin to have a sense of that, then you can go a little bit deeper. Uh, Casey introduced us to a great exercise that's covered in the book, which is all around helping helping yourself make decisions, simple yes or no decisions. By tapping into your body. And she gives concrete examples, like for instance, have you ever accepted work that you didn't need, that you didn't want to do, but you didn't want to say no to because you were worried that maybe they wouldn't ask you again, or that you wanted to please the other person, even though something deep inside of you was telling you to say no. And so if you ask someone that, the chances are good that they will say, yes, I have said yes to things I should have said no to. Right. And then you you bring them back into that memory and ask, you know, what, what was it like in your body? What is it like in your body now as you recall this memory? Now, the mind, the mind doesn't really know the difference between something that's happening right now versus something that you're recalling vividly in your mind. And so you can use memory as a great way to, to tap into what would have been the sensations in place at that moment? So you can you can now learn from them and integrate that knowledge. And so a lot of people will say things like, well, when the opportunity came up, I felt a sense of tightness in my throat, like I couldn't speak, or I felt, I felt, I felt a sense of constriction. And so those are the signals that I wanted to say no. And then when I said yes, I felt kind of sadness or more of that tightness in my body. So if you can bring them back to a specific memory and see with them what those sensations would have been like or what it's feeling like now in the memory, it can be a really nice way to build that um, understanding of what those sensations might mean in the future. That is a wonderful exercise. One of many, many like that in this book, which I, again, just resonates with me on so many different levels. You know, the other, the other inquiry I have here is, you know, for, for people like me uh, who may be, 
You know, I'm a fairly skeptical person as a general rule. And as I've mentioned a few times, you know, I'm pretty cerebral. So I've kind of come around uh, gradually over time. But when you encounter people who are kind of skeptics like me, what is something that you would suggest that I try just on a day-to-day basis that might kind of get me into a little bit more of the swing of being more in touch with my physical self, my, you know, what happens from the chin down? Hmm. That's such a great question. I have so many things that are coming to mind right now, but, but maybe the, the first thing that I would point to is noticing and acknowledging your state of being. I think people can generally tap into to mood as a concept. Hmm. How's your mood? Yeah. Are you in a good mood or are you in a bad mood? Hmm. And I think generally speaking, <laughs> we're able to, to tap into that. And um, I, I have a, 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 a coach that I, I work with who introduced me to the idea of a, of a mood check at the beginning of meetings, for instance. And uh, so asking a team, you know, what's your mood? And, and seeing what people respond. So I think a, a first step for those who might be skeptical or, or who may need, need to understand this at a more cerebral, more intellectual level, just to get them to realize that, yeah, I have different states of being. I have different moods. They're not the same from a day-to-day basis. They're not the same even within the course of the day. And just being able to notice that and to acknowledge and, and maybe apply a bit of a label to that is, is a really good first step. And then with, with an individual that you're coaching or even with a team, if you want to use the mood check exercise, every time you do it, push them a little bit further for more subtlety. So what is your mood today? I'm in a good mood. Tell me more. What does good feel like to you right now? Mm-hmm. And try to get to more and more subtle layers of, of nuancing, of, of sensation, um, as you you explore through that. Yeah, you know, I really love that. And and actually I'm gonna put that into practice this afternoon for myself because I, I can, as you're describing that, my day started at about I don't know, 6.30 a.m. Eastern time. And as I look back on my day so far, there have been many, many, many versions and moods uh, that I've experienced. And my guess is if I paused long enough to name what that mood is and just ask myself a few coaching questions, I would probably pretty quickly get more into my body and out of my head a bit. That's a terrific suggestion. Yeah, and then once you're there... Um, and this this speaks to maybe the skeptic is once you can acknowledge that you you are in different moods that you have these different states, then you can start to move your body in ways that will shift your state of being. And so one of the practices that I, I mentioned in the book that I, I used to do on a regular basis, not so much so in the home office now, although although I will do it if I have to give a big talk. I will stand like a starfish. <laughs> I used to do it in an office space, you know, outside of the meeting room. I'm standing there with my arms in a V and my legs spread wide and my chest and heart wide open and I'm breathing and people are walking by. <laughs> <laughs> but 
it would energize me. And it would bring me into a different state of mind. It would cause my nervous system to to get a little bit more activated because for me often, and we talk about this in the book, different states of of being of the nervous system, whether you're in in a hyperactivated state or in a more hypoactivated state. And, and sometimes I'd be in either one. Uh, I'd be either overly excited or overly anxious about the talk, or I'd be a little bit in a in a low energy kind of space, I'd have some worries about the talk and I, I didn't feel like I was bringing the right energy into the interaction. And so depending on where I was, I would either use that kind of a starfish physical posture and walk around like that a little bit to kind of bring myself back. Or if I was feeling overly anxious, overly activated, then I either would take deep breaths to sort of bring myself into a calm, collected state or if I was really, really anxious, then I might do something else, like actually physically move my body a lot more uh, energetically in order to burn off some of that excess energy. So from a skeptical sort of cognitive standpoint, understanding that you can move and shift your body in ways that will shift your state of being so that you can perform as a leader in the way that you need to in the most optimal way for the situation that you're walking into. And to me, that's a tremendous realization and almost a superpower if you can realize that and then start to put it into practice. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just reminded as you're sharing that I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, I had a coach one time who asked me, where do you get your best ideas from? And of course my answer wasn't, you know, sitting at my office all day doing a bunch of work and staring at a computer screen. It was, you know, well, when I'm taking my shower or uh, out walking my dog or playing with my children or what have you. So it was inevitably some physical thing that I was doing where my ideas came from, not kind of sitting still here in my desk chair. Mm -hmm. So the idea that movement and being in touch with my physical self can alter or change my mood and create even innovation in some ways is, mm-hmm. is sort of a powerful way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people can totally relate to the, I think, to the idea that um, when you take a shower, for instance, you have a problem that you're trying to solve and you go and take a shower and all of a sudden you just feel like you have the answer. And it's not because you took a shower, it's because your nervous system benefits from the sensation of a shower. It benefits from the temperature change. It benefits from either the coolness or the warmness. It benefits from that quiet space, that quiet time that you have. There are all these these physical elements, but there's also the environmental elements. So when you mention walking around, going into different environments, being with different people, um, those are all things that shift the energy around us that shift the environment around us and help us to shift our, our state of being as well. Yeah. Well, Courtney, if people would like to get in touch with you or learn more about this work, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, the best way would be to go to our website, which is simply mindbodywaybook.com. So mindbodywaybook.com all one word, dot com. The book itself, The Mind Body Way, is available through all online platforms. Uh, So you can also find us there. Uh, But if you go to the 
uh, mindbodywaybook.com page. You'll you'll see a bit more information about us. You'll see links to our bios, links to our own websites, links to the uh, the podcasts that we've we've done in the past. So it gives you a bit more of a window into everything that's going on around the book. Well, also for those of your listeners who prefer uh, listening to content, um, we are currently working on the audiobook. Our beloved Casey is uh, is recording that right now, and we hope that it's going to be available in October. So if you'd prefer to, to listen, then to read the physical copy, uh, then that will be coming very shortly. All right. Fantastic. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an honor to have you here and I have learned a lot from this conversation. Thank you. This was really enjoyable. And uh, I really love the work that you're doing, John. I think your podcast is, I I have listened to the first season and it's given me a lot to think about uh, in terms of your pillars of leadership, particularly around the dimension of, of how we bring more more, more love to our leadership, how we bring more care and understanding and heart to how we play that role. So I've been reflecting a, a lot on that lately, thanks to you, uh, to your work. Yeah, much appreciated. I'm wondering if I could have you back at a future date where we could talk uh, exclusively about love. Would you be willing to do that? Yes, absolutely. I'd be right. Fa- Fantastic. I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Courtney. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks to you as well, John. Take care. All right. See you soon. 